we are ready. I didn't want to deprive you of the joy of pushing the buttons, screwing it up. Screwing it up. All right, welcome back. Uh, welcome back from Thanksgiving break. Uh, we got three weeks of miracles. I mean, what's better at Christmas time than just miracles? So we're going to be uh, going through some miracles for the next three weeks. Uh, for those of you who are, are paying attention to the schedule, we're making a slight modification to the schedule um, just by like a couple verses, but that won't be until um, two weeks from now. We're just going to shorten it just by like two verses. So I think most of you aren't even paying attention to that, and so I'm just saying that to myself. Um, so it is what it is. All right, so let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll jump into the end of seven, um, the conclusion or maybe the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, depending on how you look at it, or the beginning of the next section. Uh, Lord, we just come tonight. We just thank you uh, for this room that is warm and that allows us to be together. And we thank you for the individuals that are here, uh, both currently here in this room and also tuning in and joining us uh, through the power of technology. And we just pray that you would... Uh, be with us tonight that your spirit would guide us and teach us as we seek to understand uh, you and what it means to be a follower of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so one thing I want, to think, uh, want us to think about is uh, tonight, this image that I want us to think about is, uh, you know, it's a trust fall is when somebody catches you. You know, you turn around and you blindly fall backwards and somebody catches you. Uh, there's also this other thing that you can do where you can hold hands with somebody or multiple people and then you can all lean back and see how far you can lean back and pull on each other. And if somebody pulls or doesn't pull, then everyone tumbles over. Uh, so I want us to think about this tension of pulling on one another um, as we walk through uh, some of these texts tonight. So if you remember, uh, we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we wrapped it up uh, last uh, two weeks ago. And again, oftentimes we, we misremember, or maybe we just forget that this is all happening. The Sermon on the Mount was not like multiple days or multiple weeks. This was one continuous uh, teaching of Jesus. And now after that... Um, Seemingly the same day is where we pick up. So it's taken us seven weeks to get here, but it's all happening in the same day. It's kind of like that show 24. Anybody used to watch that, Kiefer Sutherland? It's like it takes you 24 weeks to watch one day. It's kind of where we're at. Um, so we are in uh, 28 of 7. And when Jesus finished these sayings, meaning the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds... Remember, there were the disciples there, the distinction between the disciples and the crowds. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. Important to remember that word, and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, 
great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was what... This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. So now this is the beginning, again, of nine or ten, depending on how you parse them out, healing events of Jesus that Matthew groups together in three groups of three. So we have these three uh, groupings of three. And this first three is an interesting blend of depending on how you see it, an interesting trajectory of how, how these miracles are happening or who these miracles are happening to. What we do know is that each of the individuals that are healed or each of the main characters in the three stories, uh, the three events, are people that would not be viewed as certainly not worthy of Jesus not worthy of Jesus' healing, and also be viewed as outside, depending on whether you talk culturally, societally, or um, nationally. So those are three interesting things. Also, we see this interesting uh, spectrum of how Jesus heals and what is how the person that is healed functions in each of the three stories in a, a very interesting way. So keep those things kind of at the front of your mind. Notice here at the beginning of this uh, section that we see in 728, um, the crowds are astonished because of the authority that Jesus has. So this word authority plays a key role in moving Matthew's narrative forward as he talks about who Jesus is and how he is functioning in the world. And 
the crowds are seeing him in this contrast uh, to their scribes. So these crowds are following him, and within the crowd appears this individual who has this skin illness. Now, remember how easy it was to cough in like February of 2020 in public? I mean, you might get a dirty look from like a germaphobe, but for most people, most people are like, yeah, it's cool. You'd sneeze and people are like, God bless you. Now you sneeze and people are like, God other word to you. It's interesting because we know that there, was, there were groups of people, lepers, and you know, as we dissect this word leper out, yes, it can mean a variety of things. It can mean a skin condition or it can mean actual, the medical leprosy in which the, these people were sent and they were uh, quarantined, a word that, again, we, we just never use these words. And now they're like common vernacular. They were quarantined into these colonies. Now, part of that is because they don't have a big public health system that allows them to take care of these individuals. So in order for the spread of this disease to be uh, mitigated, they would put people in particular areas and they're like, you people stay over there. And so as a result of that, we have this outcast group of people. Now, one commentator made the case, which some people weren't so excited about, Think back to when the AIDS epidemic started to first come forward. And when, an, when a person was diagnosed with AIDS, we didn't know what to do with them. I mean, I was remembering back when Magic Johnson said that, you know, he had contracted HIV, and, and it was like, he can never be on a basketball court ever again, because if he does, everyone in the whole place is going to be infected and all these things, and part of that was ignorance, Right? Now we know that that's not how HIV is transmitted. But do we still function that way a little bit? When we see certain people, we're like, yeah, just, I mean, just don't get too close to me. Because I'm not sure if what you have is going to get on me. And so we, we don't want these people around us. And so we we quarantine them or move them into particular areas. Now, I know that, again, this may seem like a stretch, but in a lot of ways, think about how we treat certain groups of people that we just don't want to deal with. We just say, you just go over there and don't ever come around, and then if some of those, one of those persons comes around, we're like, go, uh, get away from me. That's who this leper would have been. And the, the question becomes, how does the leper be a part of the crowd? Like, if a leper were to show up on a Sunday morning here, word would spread pretty quick, <laughs> and people would kind of make move away. I mean, think about when somebody doesn't show up in, like, nice church clothes. You're, everyone's kind of like, ooh. I don't know if they're in the right place. Let alone somebody who has a visible skin disorder. But where is this guy at? This individual 
is in such a desperate place where he doesn't care. He literally has no other choice. He's got no other options. And so he goes out into public, forces his way into the crowd, and he forces his way to the front of the crowd so that he can encounter Jesus. This is like the most um, assertive fan trying to get an autograph. Like pushing everyone out of the way. You're like, yeah, but what about the 10-year-old kid? I don't care about the 10-year-old kid. They'll get their baseball signed later. All I want is my chance. And he knows who Jesus is. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. I know that you have the power to heal me of what I'm dealing with. Now, part of the question becomes, how does this person know that? Well, if you remember back before the Sermon on the Mount, what was happening? And, and it's okay. The answer's in the Bible. You just got to flip back to chapter 4. It's like, this isn't a test. It's just like, uh, it's just a little memory thing. Remember back in 4, before we get into the Sermon on the Mount, he's healing all these people. He's, you know, remember we cleared out all the emergency rooms. There were no need for a doctor anymore. And ever since then, the one doctor I called out hasn't been back. Interesting. Um, so the word was spreading. And if you had a, a family member or a friend who had leprosy and you hear about Jesus healing all these people, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to run and be like, okay, right, you just stay right there. I got an idea. <laughs> Don't get too close to me. I got an idea. You could go get to Jesus and he could probably heal you. So this person approaches Jesus with this great intent and drive to have an encounter with him no matter what the cost. Pushes through the crowd, risks all these things to go to Jesus and he says he knows that Jesus has the ability to make him clean. He says, if you will, now, again, oh, we just wrestle with this so much as we talk about these healings. Because, and this is where the tension needs to uh, really take place for us. Because on one side of this is we pray for someone to experience healing. And they're healed. And we're like, boom, Jesus healed them. Crowd goes moderately wild. On the other side, we have somebody who is sick and, and, and needs healing. And we're praying desperately, God, heal this person. We know that you can do it. And the person is not healed. It doesn't necessarily follow that, that Jesus looked at this person and said, you're not worth it. That somehow 
your value in my kingdom on this earth wasn't enough for me to choose to heal you. Because that's what, that's what the, leper, or the leper says. If you desire, if you will, this will happen. So then we can run down this rabbit hole conclusion that God didn't desire for this person to be healed. And it just goes all sorts of bad. And many of us encounter people who have been abused by that logic. You're not healed because you don't have the faith that is required to heal you. That's not the point why Matthew tells us about the leper. Because the leper in all of the world that these people live in is the most rejected outcast category of person. Nobody wants them around. And yet this person knows all I need is to be in front of Jesus. And I will do whatever it takes to get into his presence to experience his healing. And Jesus says, yes. Jesus isn't mortified. He doesn't say, how dare you get close to me? What does he do? He reaches out his hand and he touches this person. Physically touches the untouchable. Now, we could talk about all of the things that that does to Jesus in a Jewish context around his uncleanliness. We could talk about how leprosy is spread and the risk that Jesus had to potentially become a leper because he touched this person. That is not the point. The point is that Jesus sees the people that we not only don't want to see, but we reject. And he doesn't just see them, he allows them into his most intimate presence and then he physically touches this person that we have deemed untouchable. Imagine what that would have been like for this leper who, who knows how long he hasn't been touched. And now he is touched by God himself. Jesus says, I will. I want you to experience this. Now, Please, let's help each other not go off one end or the other and hold tension around how do we appropriately interpret this text so that we don't do harm to other people in what Matthew is trying to communicate. Matthew is trying to communicate, in particular, in these first three grouping or these first three stories. Jesus is going to the people that we would least expect him to go to. And in this case, Jesus isn't even going to that person. This person is doing everything they can to get into Jesus' presence. And when they go into Jesus' presence, they are expecting something to happen. Do we do that? When we go into Jesus' presence, and you're like, 
Jesus is everywhere. Yeah, I understand. Okay. When we make a conscious effort to engage with Christ, do we go with intent and expectation? Or do we go like we go to Thanksgiving just to check off the box? Yep, we're still related. Next time, work on your turkey. See you at Christmas. I mean, think about that. This Sunday, we're going to celebrate communion. And, and when we go to Jesus, like, it's symbolic. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I get all that. <laughs> when we take the bread and the juice, are we going with the expectation of something happening? Do we go with the intent of Jesus, I am here to meet you. And I'm going to push through everything else, all the other nonsense in my life, to get right in front of you. Because that's what the leper does. And what happens with his cleansing? Immediately, this word that Matthew loves to use. This isn't a tape delay. This immediately happens and he is healed. And Jesus says... Go and show the priests and go through this ritualistic process. Because, not because Jesus necessarily wants to show off. He wants this person to be restored into the community of faith that is the Jewish people that he's a part of. Because he couldn't have, well, he could have. We have this great conversation is, was this leper a Jew? And my conclusion is, most likely he was a Jew because of he knew all of these other things about Jesus. And the command to go and offer this gift that he would have known that Jesus was talking about. Because Jesus wants the restoration of relationship. Remember, we've been talking about this for weeks. And now we don't know how long it is between this and the next event, but we get a different category of people. And it's the centurion, this leader of a hundred so individuals in the army. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, somebody asked a question about what do we do around war, right? And, and I know I continue to get, what's the word? Chided, harassed, poked that I'm not answering questions. <laughs> I get that. We'll get there. Notice Jesus has this encounter with a military person, and he doesn't condemn what he's doing militarily. Which, when we have conversations about specific things, we want to use appropriate texts to say, well, how does Jesus feel about the military? Well, Maybe he would have taken the opportunity when he has someone who is higher up in the military to condemn what they're doing. He doesn't do that. This person comes and they say, I have a young person. This, this Greek word for servant also could be translated son. Who is lying in this paralyzed state at home and suffering. 
notice this. This person is not a Jew. This person is an authority within the Roman Empire. How are the Romans treating the Jews? Not great. So he breaks rank to come and and to get close to Jesus because he has a need. Now, the oppressor, the Roman person, is coming to this person that he's actively oppressing. We're going to talk about this more when we get, get to Matthew 12. Imagine being the crowd there and like, yeah, Jesus, tell them like it is. No way. We're not for those people. They're the enemy. Ah. This guy is desperate. The leper, desperate. This guy is desperate, not for himself. Now notice there's a transition from the leper who's coming for himself to the centurion who's coming on behalf of someone else who's in his home, who's very important to him. And Jesus doesn't even bat an eye. He doesn't say, nope, my healing is for the Jewish people, so become a Jew and then we can talk. He doesn't say, well, you know the rules. I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile and and I can't come into your house. It's like the opposite of Zacchaeus. (laughs) That was a Bible joke. Remember, because he says, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to your house. Remember that? Sunday school. He says, I will come to your house. (laughs) I will come into your home. Again, making myself unclean, and I will heal him. Think about what is happening here. Jesus is choosing to become an ally of people who society has rejected, the leper, who... His people have rejected the Gentile. And he is taking and he is becoming their advocate, their ally. And Love Seacrest in her book, where she, her chapter on Matthew talks exactly about this. That we, as followers of Jesus Christ, see this example and, and we can't help but be moved to be allies for these people. (laughs) We just need to bring back WWJD bracelets. We have an encounter. We have an encounter with somebody who who is other. Well, what would Jesus do? Well, he would do the exact opposite of what society tells us to do when he encounters somebody who is an outcast, who is seen as dirty and filthy and rejected by society, he doesn't send them on their way with thoughts and prayers. He heals them. He touches them. When he encounters the enemy on the road, he doesn't say, no, you're not one of us. 
He cracks open the kingdom. He cracks open the kingdom of God and starts to let in this idea that that he has come not just for the Jews, but for all people. And and sometimes we, we read this and we're like, we can almost convince ourselves that the centurion is must be a Jew. How could Jesus do this? How could Jesus go and advocate for the enemy? Except Jesus doesn't see it that way. Jesus doesn't think in those categories. And again, Jesus doesn't, the the centurion tries to let him off the hook. He even recognizes, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof or roof, depending on how you like to say it. If it's flat, it's roof. If it's pitched, it's roof. (laughs) Notice what this, even the centurion says, only say the word. Only say the word. The faith that this individual has is, He knows the power in the word of God. He knows the power in the words of Jesus. The question I ask is, do I think that the the words of Jesus have the same power that the centurion does? That the centurion knows that the power in the words of Jesus are immediate and life-giving and transformative. And can bring back to life this young person. And he tries to get Jesus to do, to just, let's not bother with this. Just You just say it and it's going to happen. And Jesus sees his faith. And he says, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, wait, what? I mean, imagine being there. You've just just been on the mountain. You've just heard the Sermon on the Mount. Now you're following Jesus because you're like, okay, this guy's going places. And you're a Jew, and you're anticipating how this thing works. And Jesus takes, and the MVP of faith is handed to a Gentile. You're like, wait, what? How does that happen? I'll never forget. In college, I was big in FCA. I was running the USF FCA, and I played football at USF, and they were giving out the the FCA Athlete Awards that year. And they gave it to a certain person. I was like, what? He doesn't even go to FCA? Are you kidding me? It's like, this year's Oscar goes to somebody that's not even in a movie. Like, what? No, too soon. 
Jesus says, this guy gets it. He sees who I am and he knows what I can do. And how many other people are just riding on the coattails of their parents? They are riding on their blood heritage of Jewishness. Because they think they are just in. And Jesus is starting to unravel this thing called faith and what it means to be a follower of his and to be a part of the kingdom of God. And it looks like this centurion. It looks like this person who understands who Jesus is. And notice, notice the imagery that we get. Because, again, we've been talking about this, and we're going to continue to talk about this. We have such a character view of what heaven and hell is. And, and throughout the narrative of Scripture, throughout the, the entire Bible, we miss out on the reality that heaven is being in the presence of God, experiencing fellowship with God and fellowship with those who are followers of God, followers of Jesus in this case, but those who were part of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the kind of first Mount Rushmore that never existed. But where are they at? They are reclining at table. They are participating in fellowship with one another, and that's where the kingdom of God is at, in this communal sharing of life together and the presence of God. And the opposite of that is outside the city. It's outside the garden. It's outside the fellowship. And what does it look like? It looks like darkness. And somebody brought up the point today, why do we think that hell is burning on fire if hell is darkness? Because if you sit by a fire, there's light. Interesting. Never thought of that. And what is taking place? The realization that we missed it. The realization that we are separated from God. That separation from fellowship with God looks like darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I love uh, Frederick Bruner's take on this, talking about hell. He says, All of Jesus' warnings about hell occur in messages to people who believed themselves heirs of the kingdom. Jesus does not preach hell to pagans, non-believers. He preaches it to those who think themselves believers. Hell is not so much a doctrine to frighten unbelievers as it is a doctrine to warn those who think themselves believers. And before that, he says, if wooing will not work, Jesus will try warning. Think about that. How often is it the case 
that we get on the, well, we don't, but some people do. Stand on the street corner and warn the pagans that they're going to hell. And Bruner's like, no, 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 that's not the point. The point is that those who are followers of Christ should be asking themselves, if I don't follow through on this thing called faith in Christ, what's going to happen? And Jesus says, it's done. And the servant or boy was healed instantly at that very moment. There was no delay. There was no time span. It happened immediately. And then Jesus goes on and they go into Peter's uh, home. And he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And one thing that came up that I, I had never thought about this is if Peter has a mother-in-law, this isn't a mother-in-law joke. (laughs) Peter was married. And if Peter was married, it creates some interesting challenges for some people. Just leave that one right there. So Jesus goes in to Peter's home and he sees his mother-in-law lying there sick. And what does he do? He touches her. And the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. So now see this trajectory or this progression. Leper leaves everything behind follows the crowd, finds Jesus, gets in his face, heal me, boom, healed. Centurion has somebody back at his house who cannot come and ask Jesus for healing. So the centurion asks on this person's behalf, boom, healing. Mother-in-law doesn't do anything. She's just laying there. And Jesus is like, oh, you're sick? Here. Boom, you're healed. And I've used this phrase before, and I think it's because it's, it's interesting and it's jarring enough for us to notice. We have this gynocentric interruption where a woman comes into the story unnamed. Like, we're not expecting Jesus to heal a woman in this instance. Like, well, we weren't expecting him to heal a Roman, and we also weren't expecting him to heal, touch somebody who isn't. That's the point. That's the point that Matthew is making. Jesus is not supposed to touch her. Social norms and all these things, not supposed to do this. And Jesus says, my life is not about social norms and practices. My life is about restoring the lives of other people. Because that's the picture. Peter's mother-in-law is lying sick with a fever. She's not in a good place. She, She can't run down and get some antibiotics to deal with whatever is going on in her body. And so Jesus comes in and he says, I don't care what anyone else thinks. She should be brought back to life. And he touches her. She doesn't ask for it. 
She doesn't beg him. She is just there and he heals her. Because the life of Christ is about bringing restoration of the lives of other people. And we can buy into an escapist mentality that says, well, it's just, again, it's just about like, in the future, heaven. It's all about heaven. And so just, let's not talk about the ailments of the earth. Let's just talk about heaven, except that's not the story of Jesus. Jesus desires to bring people back to life. Why have a relationship with Christ? Because he brings us back to life. That's what it means. And Jesus takes her from this sickened state and in an instant touches her and she's brought back to life. And I know we, again, we just wrestle with this because, I mean, we could spend who knows how long, listing all the people that we have prayed for that this hasn't happened. And she doesn't even pray for it. And she gets it. And it just so skews our brain because Jesus is not about what have you done for me lately? <laughs> or did you say it the right way? Or or. Once, you, you know, once you've done enough, then I'm going to answer your prayer and bring you back to life. It's not about your nationality or where you're from or who your parents are. He takes this woman who, who has done nothing to ask for it and he brings her back to life. Because that's what he is in the business of doing. And it's interesting because we have these three very specific instances of healing. And then we get this classic Matthew move where he's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, took care of them with a word, okay, going back to you know, the this, this centurion and with one word. And healed all who were sick. All who were sick? Like, how many is all? <laughs> I think it's all. And Matthew gets us to the point in this section. And he says, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. And this brings about this grand theological conversation and wrestling that we have. What is taking place in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? If the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is only about getting us into heaven then we have ignored a huge portion of the Bible. Because Matthew wants to remind us not only of these, these prophecies that have been bouncing around in the minds of the Jewish people for a very long time, 
but also to remind those in the present that this Jesus didn't just come to get us out of this God-forsaken land that is earth. Because that's a whole other conversation. He cares about the here and the now. And again, I'll just keep saying it because it is so, it is just so unbelievably Because how often do we fast and pray and beg and plead for God to heal? And then it doesn't happen. We're like, ah, forget this. Matthew was wrong. Maybe our perspective is wrong. And so we can go one way and say, God doesn't care about healing. Or we can say, all God wants to do is heal. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. And that's where we have to help pull each other back and forth and hold ourselves centered on Christ. And what is Christ trying to do? Bring about the restoration of of life and relationship between God and people. That's what Jesus' life is doing. And yes, part of that is providing these miraculous healings. And so we just keep wrestling with that when we don't get to experience it in our own lives. All right? You could go to your groups.